Warning, the following show is intended for mature audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome back. Coffee with the Johns, May 7th. You excited for your birthday? Woo! Uh, Like it really matters, but hey. Yeah, you're going to get that pony finally? I've been waiting for my pony since I was a kid, but nobody's (laughs) ever got me one. So, got a lot on the docket today, a lot of business news, um, a lot of uh, real estate as well, a lot of real estate news that's come down the line, a lot of good news coming down the line, and some funny uh, sports news that I, I found very amusing this morning. But we're going to be talking about how more people are actually paying their rents and their mortgages. Um, there's a, talks of the masks going away by like September of this year where we're going to be at a point that we don't need them anymore. And some bad news, it seems like there's significant signs of a decline coming for the stock market. So we're going to cover all of that and more. I want to remind you guys that we have a text community that we send out tips and stuff in real time as we're learning them, as we're testing out different things. And uh, if you just text CWTJ to 210-794-9898, you will be alerted every time something that we do, something that we realize as we list our properties, flip our properties, do rentals. I mean, we're always sharing whatever it is that we're doing in real time because, I mean, a lot of times to do a podcast episode, it it might take a few weeks or a month before that comes out. So I recommend everybody join it. Uh, with that being said, I am your host, John Barbera, and with me as always, co-host, Mr. John Barr. How's it going, sir? Good week? This guy. Uh, great week. Great week, so right? Far. How's so it, far. How's everything been? Uh, it's been pretty good. Been busy. Got uh, multiple projects going on, multiple things, problems to be solved, which is, which is uh, fun to have, but uh, keeps life interesting, as we like to say. But uh, overall, I mean, everything's pretty good. Everything's good, yeah, man. This is the first house like in this like whole crazy market. So you're gonna see how that's gonna go, and it's already off to the races. It's kind of like, wow, I had like seven confirmed showings in all of like five hours last night, and like already have one scheduled for this morning. It's like, man. What do you mean listed your first house? You never listed a house before. Never listed a house. Um, no, like this year, like this summer, this this selling season or buying yeah. season, whichever one you want to call it right now. Definitely selling. Um, to where like we've I've listed some stuff earlier uh, in the year, mm-hmm. like January February time frame, but it wasn't anything like crazy. And then all of a sudden I'm hearing all this stuff like now and just doing the market report this last week and putting that out like 1.26 months of inventory every top 10 zip code below a month of inventory 23 out of the 60 some are below a month of inventory just like wow boy oh boy uh, in, in case you have not seen it the market update is on our youtube channel and our podcast so check it out and you can also get the slides and the zip codes to see you'll get the full list of zip codes all the good the bad and everything in between um, if you go to sarealestatemarket.com, sarealestatemarket.com, and you will get all the slides, all that for free. Um, so go check that out. But one thing that I was looking at in your market update is even the worst zip codes are hot. 
Well, like, I, I mean, mean it's, it's very, it's <laughs> such an oxymoron to say, and the worst zip codes are still insanely hot and a good place to be. Yeah. Uh, it's like, I don't know how to describe that twist. I'm like, well, I mean, they're in the twos and one of them is in the three. It's like, exactly. it's still like insanely hot. Yeah. Or just it, it, no that's what I saw. It was, a, it was just one of them that was in the three. Other yeah, than that. And last summer, like. I think we were hitting some of the top ones are getting into the twos, but they're still consistently in the threes. Yeah. And now it's just like no inventory no anywhere. Inventory. And like you look at like running comps has become very difficult to where like, what's this going to sell for? I don't know. You have to result because like appraisers aren't keeping up with what people are wanting to pay because I mean, I understand the position. Everyone's mad at the appraiser, but it's like, they got to go off historical data of what the banks are worth. Like I get mm. prices are going over, but it's like, if you're not putting any money down, they got to protect the bank's position. So, I mean, we've listed the, the house we listed. We had some offers already started rolling in um, on yeah. the house we listed yesterday. So, it's going to be interesting to see how that uh And full that price out. offers. Yeah, over asking. Over asking. And, and I mean, that's that's the thing that we were talking about before that it, it kind of sucks for, it, not kind of, it definitely sucks for FHA buyers. Yeah, for low money down FHA yeah, buyers. Yeah, like, because... I those, is, I, yeah, why, why you're, would you're you? You're not going to take it. No. Like, if comparatively... I, it's just you, there's, there, it doesn't stand a chance. It's because of the financing and the way the appraisals work and the money requirements. It's like if you're going FHA, it's because one of two things: your credit score is low, or you don't have money to put down th- put down money. And that are two things that well, the risk could fall apart from. It's okay. like, hey, your credit score is not the best, and all of a sudden the lending changes, or you're barely making it. And it's like, no, I'm not going to accept that because conventional means like you're putting a little more money down, and your credit scores. Um, decent yeah. so I'm, I'm just not even if you're fha financing is like i'm just not even going to look at it i mean even to the va to a certain extent so well the the only houses every time i run comps the only houses that i'm seeing that are closing fha are the ones that have been on the market for like 50 plus days so it's that's seems, the only thing that's left it's like yeah, yeah it's like, like nobody pretty much nobody wanted it so the only thing that was left was an FHA buyer kind of thing. So it, that really sucks. That really sucks for FHA buyers, for for low money down buyers, because this market right now, and, and that's, so here's the other point, right? People have money because it's not just that, you know, again, like we talked about last week, how real estate investors are the greedy ones, but people have money because they're coming in and making up that difference from the appraisal to what they're offering. So they're coming in with an extra 15, 20, 30, 40 grand, if not more, to buy these houses. In uh, Austin, they're coming in with an extra 100 grand yeah. over as cash, right? So it's like, and, and you see, that was one thing that you and I spoke about this week that I was asking you, I was like, all right, well, based on the market data and everything, yeah, the market is hot and everything, and it, this is crazy, but is sales oh that's what it was because we have a property that we're trying to close on and we haven't gotten our title commitment back yeah and i'm like come on really are the title companies that bogged down there's no inventory in the market but you made the point that you're like houses are still selling as they always have it's just as they come up they're gone they come up they're gone so it's like there's just more buyers sales, coming in yeah, sales, sales volume, volume has increased and that's one thing that I, i'm watching is like okay inventory's not there is that because the sellers aren't selling or is it because the buyers are, are buying too much yeah like what is the reason it's like it's a combination of sellers are selling but buyers are like yes our sales volume is 
comparatively to last year, it's like it's neck and neck. But that's also it's like you hit such a lull from last year of people listing, and that buyer group really took off. It sucked the inventory down and created this buying frenzy. Mm-hmm. And now since you created that buying frenzy, the inventory has not had a chance to keep up. So that's why it's trying the market's trying to find its new equilibrium of where like, hey, we supply is starting to rise because people are priced out of the market. But so far, when you pump that much money into the economy and you give all these stimulus checks, you give because I mean you think about somebody with a family of four, mom, dad, and two kids making that your median household income, um, and you're making like almost four thousand dollars, and that's the difference of like, hey, uh, I got a little extra cash now to put down because if you only need five percent down to yeah. qualify for a conventional mm-hmm. mortgage, so now it's like now I'm not an FHA buyer anymore. I'm a conventional buyer, and I got a decent credit score, and I got this extra cash that I just received, and the tax return season just is coming around, starting to heat up to where like they're getting money back from that, like they're flush with cash. To where they're like, hey, I got a good credit score and interest rates are so low and I got a little extra money. Like, let me go buy a house. Yeah. And it's just like there so, hasn't been an opportunity yet for it to slow down. So let's see that. Right. So you have conventional buyers that you need 5% down to qualify for conventional. Mm-hmm. Right. Yet you still have all of these FHA buyers and you have all of these buyers that are coming and snatching up all of the inventory, paying over ass. Like, who are these FHA buyers anymore that don't have apparently that savings and then who are these people that have all of the savings because i mean when we first spoke about all this when COVID first hit, we talked about how the average in the united states was that most the majority of people i, I want to say it was a ridiculous number like 90 percent or something don't have more than 400 dollars saved in, in a savings 40 percent of americans can cope with 400 dollars 40%? Yeah, it wasn't 90. Uh, I could have sworn it was nowhere it was, near uh, 90. I it thought was, it was a high number. It, I mean, it was starkingly high, even like even 40, no, 50%. I think it was even in the high, higher than that. I think well, you're wrong. I agree I, to disagree. I agree okay. that you're wrong. Yes. Anyway, but regardless of that, it's like you're seeing that those were the trends and everything. Now, all of a sudden, everybody's coming in with 20, 30, 40, 50 grand it over. It just tells you right there you're wrong. Like, Geez, like where where is all this money coming from? Is it all this that what we talked about last week? All these out of state buyers that are coming in, that are flooding in from, you know, California, all, all pretty much both coasts, right? New York, California, uh, Seattle, Portland. So it's like, are they just selling their shacks over there and coming in with so much extra money? That's like, yeah, sure, still a bargain, still a hell of a bargain. Compared yeah, to- when you think of it, like if you're moving from a high price place like you think about a percentage rate so texas we have relatively low housing costs compared to the coast one thing is because our property taxes are higher to where if you remove that tax burden you can afford more and the rates your prices would skyrocket much like the coast because they have income tax so our prices are lower so now if you say you have a three hundred thousand dollar house and it appreciates ten percent over two years that's thirty thousand dollars now in california you have a six uh, comparatively say it's a you can buy it for the same mortgage payment for 300 grand here it's 500,000 in uh California right well now you get that same 10% rise in real estate cr- prices and 10% of 500 is 50 grand mm-hmm. so because prices go up here and they go up relatively the same price it's 10 percent on 50 or 10 percent on 30 and that cash doesn't care about the tax rates no or the mortgage rates or anything like that it's like hey i have an extra 20 grand that i now have to go put down on a house somewhere Mm. else to where i think that's a big thing to where like we ran over the stats uh, from the census bureau that texas was the number one uh migrated to state by a, a very large margin and uh from 
2010 to 2020 from the last census. Um, the capital improvements that are going here, Texas ranks number one in that. I mean, there's not very many economic charts that Texas isn't in number one or in the top three. Yeah. So where it's like you just have people moving here and you have money coming here. So I think that's one thing that's really driving up these prices. And then with that's trying to find the new equilibrium to where even though mortgage rates are starting to rise, it's not affecting the buyer pool that much that's allowing supply to catch up. So you have that that uh, fear of missing out to where it's like every month I do the market update and we're at like nine months in a row of 10% month over month increase. And somebody looks like, man, if I would have just bought six months ago, I would already be up. Like an extra, t- I'd already have almost uh, an extra like 10% into my house. Yeah. So it's created that fear of missing out because everyone just hears prices are going up, prices are going up, prices are going up, prices are going up, builders are canceling contract, lumber's going up, price, um, and they well, just keep and, and you also, you're seeing so many buyers as well, like start waiving contingencies, waiving inspections, waiving this, waiving that. I heard that's like, really your your way you're going to win contracts right yeah. now is like you have to wait you have to pay over asking price and you have to waive contingencies to be willing to make up that difference and it's like they're just desperate so now this brings me to my next uh question of curiosity uh, my hunch is that because of the market being as hot as it is right and everything being as crazy as it is do you agree that this is probably pushing more fha buyers or more low money down buyers to just renting like they don't have an option they can't buy a house they can't snatch up a property so do you see it more likely that we're gonna see more of these people like pretty much give up trying to buy a house and just go rent a house because they'll definitely qualify for a rental but not necessarily and and definitely just not they qualify well, for mortgage but of, they can't buy it's one. also one of the things though of like it's much harder to Go from like, uh, say like me, right? It's like, it's, it's me, a girlfriend and, a, and our dog. It's like we have three people. So we can move very easily to rental properties. Uh, it's very easy to jump around. Um, but you look if say you're a family of four or five and you have dog and you have dogs, cats, and like trying to move that family to a rental property is, is going to be pretty hard. If you're selling a house and moving somewhere to where like it, there's not a lot of rental inventory out there either to where like we've looked at it. We're renting properties right now. And it's just like some of the applications you get, there's like, man, you really need a bigger house, but. Well, so yesterday it. I met with uh, one of the potential new tenants and I was talking to her and she was telling me how she's had a tough time finding rentals. First of all, she had a tough time buying a house, which is why she just gave up. She's like, you know, she was under contract with one to buy and the inspection came back that it had foundation issues. So she told the people, you know, if you fix the foundation issues and all that, and they're like, no, we're not fixing anything. So she's like, well, I'm not going to buy a house that has foundation issues. So, and aside from that, she couldn't get anything else. Right. So it was like, all right, so she can't buy anything. She can't get any properties. So she went to rental and she's like, and in the rental market, she says, they are huge houses. Everything that's available for rent, she's like, it's over 1,800 square feet. I was like, it's interesting. Okay. You know, because I'm not looking for rentals, so I, I wouldn't know. Yeah. Um, and we rent, well, you know, based on the properties that we have, and they're all your standard, like, 1,500 square feet. I mean, for us, there, like, so I don't want a rental under over 1,800 square feet because the cost of turnover and repainting and doing things, like, it's just too high. So so you're looking at all that, and you're looking at those things, and I, uh, that's why it got me thinking yesterday. I was like, well, I mean, it seems like that's also the only option that FHA buyers have at this time is you 
kind of have to go over to a rental because you're not going to snatch up. I mean, right now we, we were talking about it, how your entry level home in San Antonio went from pretty much being around 170 to now your entry level home is like 200, 210, and yeah. you still got to put substantial money down and do all these where it's like, that's your FHA bread and butter. So, you know, I, I don't know. That's why I was thinking. I was like, I think the only other option FHA buyers have if they really need a property is like, you just got to fire a rental or you start going outside of the city, outside of the town of uh, like San Antonio, right? You start going to the outskirts, the South side, uh, you know, further out, but then you have the problem like traffic has gone <laughs> crazy lately. So yeah. now it's like, well, now you got to add that amount of commute time. So well, it's kind of funny though. You, compare, you got to compare where you come from. Cause I was talking with somebody that's moving here from California and uh, the wife works off in Stone Oak. Right. And they're looking at houses clear over in like Bernie and stuff like that. And like over in the hill country, like, well, as long as she doesn't remind the commute. And he goes, dude, we're from California. The commute here is, it's not bad. Like we're used to an hour and a half commutes to where like, if it takes 45 minutes, like we're ecstatic about that. Yeah, so but, like, and I get that, but you adapt. So coming from New York this is the same thing. When I got here and people would complain about commuting 30 minutes or like, oh, but that's way on the other side across San Antonio. And I'm like, it's like 25 minutes. What the hell are you talking about? You know, and, and where I lived in New York, all our jobs, because we did remodeling and everything. I mean, they were at least 45 minutes away for any job that we did, you know? So it was always, commuting was just a part of it. And I got here, and now if I have to drive more than fifteen minutes, I'm upset. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to be on the road for that if you long. You have to drive. You're upset. Yeah, I'm like, I don't want to be on the road for that long. You know, like you adapt, you adapt to it, and it gets convenient to not have, to have everything so easily accessible. But and those were the trends that we were analyzing beforehand. We were analyzing that, you know, people are going to be moving to where the jobs are. Well, if they can't afford to move where the jobs are. Where else do they move to? Exactly. So I think as real estate investors out there, or you guys listening, if you're looking for opportunities, this is the question that I'm going to be asking myself is that, all right, how can I cater to that FHA market? Where, where Do some market analysis. Where are the properties that are not selling as quickly and could be potentials for FHA buyers? Right. And, well, and why would you want to go for FHA buyers? Oh, I don't know. I'm saying there's a lot of investors that are struggling to get deals right now in the market that we're in. So I doubt a lot of investors like ourselves are going to be looking for those types of properties because we don't care. We we're fine with where we are, but there's investors that can't find the amount of deals that we find. Yeah. So I think like, well, if you're really hurting, like there's a lot of investors that are really hurting to find any deal. Yeah. So I'm like, then get a little bit creative maybe and you know maybe go to a little bit further outskirts and start working in these little tertiary markets that you know it's not as competitive it's not yeah. as crazy he's got to realize you're driving an hour hour and a half to get to those towns so well but yeah. if the margins are there if the market is there you know but even then like the tenant she was selling her home in uh atkins atkins and she got a full price offer no over ask offer instantly She's like, I was actually surprised that it sold that fast. I was like, man, where is the real estate market not hot right now? It's just, it's nuts. So I, I really don't know. And I mean, it's one of those that we just talked about, like, where's it going to go and how long is it going to go? Yeah. And, um, but with that being said, there's a, our first article that I want to cover is more renters and homeowners are making payments. 
So fewer than 5 million households failed to make their rent or mortgage payments in March of 2021 and an improvement from December of 2020 and the lowest number since the onset of COVID-19, according to the first quarter 2021 report released by the Mortgage Bankers Association. The study, which surveyed over 8,000 households and was dubbed Housing-Related Financial Distress During the Pandemic. Wow, that's a title. uh, Found that 7.7% of renters, 2.56 million households, missed delayed, or made a reduced payment in March of 2021, while 4.9% of homeowners, 2.3 million, missed their mortgage payment. 26 million student debt borrowers, 41%, missed their payments. Well, I mean, that's, that, that's, that's not really a surprise. Well, but it, no, it's like it's also like they, they twist. They missed their payment. They didn't miss the payment. The government said you didn't have to make the payment. Why would you make the payment if the so, government's not going to okay, ask for so, it? Exactly. So then why is that a, a mispayment if you don't have it's to not. make it? It's so not. That's what I said. Like, even though, like, it's not a mispayment. They, that's right. where, like, the article twists the word. It's like, yes, they missed the payment, but it's like, it didn't affect the credit score. It didn't do anything. The government literally just like, mm, you don't have to make payments. No, right. But then it's probably also coming to the point of, you know, those payments still got to be made. They got to be caught up at some point. Nope. So they don't. They don't, they don't forgive to. it, but you don't have to make a big lump sum payment like you do a mortgage. No, you just, right. your payment just resumes. So it's actually the, like, is the interest not building on that? No, like I haven't made it in my student because of my interest rate com- combines like 2% on it. It's like, I'm not in a rush to make a, an interest payment on 2%. It's like, yeah, I'll let that post out because I, it's like extra cash that's it, gone. You're what's wrong with this. But country. that's what it said. Like missed payments. <laughs> like you didn't, I didn't, didn't miss the payment. And like, it's not like a mortgage where it's like, it has a set end date. Yeah. Like the payment just it just moves along at us. Mm-hmm. They're not going to come back and say, Oh, you got to make up all your payments at one time or your loan still ends on this time. You have a balloon payment. Like it's like, if you miss a month, the loan just automatically extends a month. Yeah. So there's, that's where I say like the missed payments, like you didn't miss the payment. You just literally said, Oh, we're just going to kick the loan uh, down the road. Like, so they're, yeah, they're, they're, the they're attributing a lot of this to the stimulus that was rolled out. Uh, the second stimulus, because in December, that included $25 billion in dedicated rental assistance, 600 in direct stimulus checks, and 300 per week in enhanced unemployment benefits. Um, in all, here are some stats. The NBA found that 23.7% of renters and 14.2% of homeowners missed at least one mortgage payment during the pandemic, but only 8.6% of renters and 6.8% of homeowners missed more than two payments. Roughly 37% of student uh, debt borrowers missed more than two payments. Um, Some landlords continue to work with their tenants. A reported 9.8% of renters received permission to delay or reduce their monthly payments during the first quarter of 2021. A total of $7.85 billion was lost in rental payments in the first quarter. Up from 7.41 billion in the fourth quarter of 2020. That's that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money to have been missed yeah, but in rental not, payments. But it's not that much though. They say in the fourth quarter they already they lost 7.41 in the fourth quarter of 2020. Mm-hmm. And then 7.8 in the first. Oh, okay, quarter. I had the years wrong. All right, never mind. I had the years wrong. I was like, 2020 is like, oh, the pandemic wasn't going. It's like, wait, 2020 yeah, was the, the pandemic year. Yeah. I, was like, I had 2019 and 2020. Yeah. So um, 
So you're looking at all this, and uh, a study showed that 2.3 million renters feel that they are at risk of eviction or being forced to move in the next 30 days. I mean, we covered about how the eviction moratorium has been pretty much a federal judge just said. That's we haven't it. covered that yet. That's an article for this week. Which we'll cover in yep. detail. Um, <laughs> we covered, no, we did cover Texas, said we're, yeah, we're not enforcing Texas. it. There you go. Let me see. see. Let me, you're let me you're over here. You you're over here getting ahead of yourself. Homeowner uh, were the uh, least likely of the three groups to miss a payment over the, last, uh, over the past four quarters. As a study found that 85.8% of homeowners made all of their mortgage payments and only 5.6 missed a payment. 1.8 of homeowners missed two, 1.4 missed three payments, and 5.4 missed four or more payments. Approximately 7% of homeowners are receiving unemployment benefits as of the beginning of April 2021. So, where does this all lead to? Like, to me, this is all good news uh, for... They're not being a real estate housing bubble like a lot of people try to scare people and talk about a housing crash. Uh, I see a lot of these um, charlatans on YouTube like trying to scare people with, oh, you got to look at this and these prices and people are overpaying. This is exactly what we saw back in 2008. And this is exactly what we're I'm like. No, all your data is well, completely yeah, they're just seeing it. They're just seeing it from a, a 30,000 foot view. They're not actually digging into it like we've dug into it. Like, okay, what actually caused 2000? What were the indicators that led up to 2008? Not just prices went up. Okay, prices go up, whatever. Like, But why were prices increasing? Right. What was causing? What things were going on that were the signs that like, hey, this isn't sustainable. Um, and that was like prices were going up as inventory was continuing to rise. Yeah. And right now it's like prices are going up because inventory is continuing to fall. I was like, that's what drives prices up. Yeah, and demand is going up. Uh, employment is going up. All these things are going up. So it's like you're saying, you know, you're you're crying wolf here, and that's the stuff. Why uh, what we hope to accomplish with the show is like for people not to be so much of a headline reader and to actually look at the data, look at the analysis, and it's like yeah. there is no reason why we are in a housing bubble. Yeah. Could there be some markets? throughout the US that are more in a bubble, perhaps, that's always a possibility, yeah. that, that always happens. But as an overall market, or even here in Texas, I mean, like we talked about that discussion that we had with a, a guy on the YouTube comments, how he said that it was stupid to invest in Texas. I was like, if you look at the data and you look at every, all the metrics, you're wrong. Yeah. Just because we're at an all-time high does not mean that we can't go higher. Yeah, so in, we've been at an all-time high since like 2015. Yeah. And yeah, it's like, we've been, been up forever. And that's sort of the headline reading aspect of it. Just like the, uh, oh, half of people with student loans missed their payment. And then just like uh, Keegan put in here is, yep, I missed my $0, zero interest payment too. It's like, yeah, like when you give people <laughs> the option, you're like half a brain, you're like, yeah, if you're dropping my interest rate to zero and you're not forcing me to pay, like, why do I want to give you that money when I can let inflation continue to erode the value of that loan? And it's like, I'm going to keep it and go do something because like at 0%, even even with the interest rate, the reason I don't pay them off is like if my interest rate's so low and I know I can get a better return on that money outside of it, even the you know, retirement account over, the, or over time is going to do better than what my interest rate is on that loan. So it's like, yeah, I'm just going to let it just ride out. It's a very small payment, small amount. It's like I'm not in any rush. So, I completely agree. I think, you know, all of these things, they use, they try to use it in a lot of articles like, 
it even frustrates me because I read the headline and I'm like, oh shit, that's interesting. So we, you know, I put it on the must read for Coffee with the Johns. And then when I finally get to it and I'm ready, I'm reading, I'm reading. And I was like, ah, you got me. <laughs> this was completely you full of shit. Son of a bitch. Yeah, you completely got me. This was nowhere near of any importance at all. You know, and it's a long article with probably like one sentence that's new. You know, so it's it's a lot of fluff, a lot of uh, nonsense that people are getting sidetracked with. So do you want to cover the, um, the federal judge? The federal judge overturns national eviction ban. So what John was alluding to is like last week, week or a week before we covered where Texas had a, a, a state federal judge, not a federal judge, but a, a Texas state Supreme Court overturned the ruling and said that, hey, you can no longer process evictions, basically putting the risk on the landlord saying, hey, in Texas, we're going to process evictions, but do so at your own risk because there's still a federal moratorium on saying you can't evict. So you run the risk of the state's not going to go after you. We'll process the evictions, but the federal government could go after you, but there were zero cases of that. But now the federal judge, uh, Dabney Frederick struck down on Wednesday, the national eviction moratorium. And he was, uh, the 2017, uh, nominee by president trump so a spokesman or former president trump a spokesman for the department of justice said it planned to appeal the ruling it is also seeking a stay of the decision meaning that the ban would remain in effect throughout the court battle a recent study estimates that there were 1.55 million fewer evictions filed during the 2020 than would be expected due to the eviction moratorium so it clearly has had a huge benefit I, I like the way they word. Oh, it clearly has had a huge benefit. Benefit for who? What about those 1.55 million people that still have payments that they, they got to make? Their taxes, their insurance, their mortgage payments. Like clearly, it's had a benefit. No, clearly that it it worked. How about that? Yeah. The eviction moratorium worked in the sense that 1.55 million people didn't get evicted. It's like, but still, 1.55 million people didn't make their payments, meaning 1.55 million landlords still had to continue making their payments. Are so you going like, to keep saying 1.55? 555. So I, I just, when they said it's a benefit, it's like, mm, okay, for who? Um, housing advocates have said the national ban is necessary to stave off an unprecedented displacement of Americans, which could worsen the pandemic just as the country is turning the corner. And uh, researchers have found that allowing evictions to continue in certain states caused as many as 433,000 excessive cases of COVID-19 and 10,700 additional deaths in the U.S. between March and September. I want to know how you came up with those numbers, like researchers, like we all know, like, well, yeah, researchers can find the data that they want that supports their argument if they're being paid to find that information. So it's kind of like, I don't understand, like, how that is and how they twist this like oh it's a benefit we're just turning the corner we can't start evicting people it's like you have to otherwise you are going to cause a huge problem in the lending market and the banking market which is a pretty important piece of the economy as part of turning the corner yeah so yeah i mean i I think overturning the national eviction ban all that i agree that it needs to be done um because it wasn't, I don't think it was handled correctly. It's one of those things that we talked about many times. It's, you can't tell somebody, hey, you can no longer work, but you still are responsible for all of your bills, yeah. right? Because they didn't lose their job because of what they did. They didn't lose their business because of what they did. They didn't 
lose, let's say, collecting their rental income because of choosing the wrong tenant, right? They chose the right tenants. They did the, the everything. Every we all did the supposedly the right thing, but then these things happen. Which I, again, I'm not blaming the government. I'm just saying, like, if you're gonna take it away, our ability to make money, then you can't also charge us for yeah. being here. Like, you can't do both. You know, to me, it's like this should have been handled correctly. Where it's like, what does that mean? Well, if you are stopping, if you're allowing somebody to not pay their rent, then you should allow that same tenant, that that same landlord should qualify, regardless of what it is, wherever their loan is, to not pay their loan. And then they're both stopped at the same time and they're both reinstated at the same time. Yeah. You know, so then this way you're not royally screwing one person while trying to help the other. Like, it, it, and that's what it seems like a lot of the things that they've done um, has been focused on like maybe a larger percentage of the population. And this is why I always say people get upset that we talk so much politics, but like I try to tell them like politics drives policies, which drives investment, business, employment, everything. Which drives so, politics right back around. Yeah. So, I mean, you not liking politics, it just means that, you know, you want to, you rather stick your head in the ground and hope for the best. Well, like, I mean, it's the same thing they made in that case. It's like, you can't expect landlords to continue no. pay, paying bills. Like they're like, oh, you should have savings. A year and a half of savings to make mortgage payments, insurance, and taxes by not even being able to evict tenants is like, come on. Like, so we have on here, uh, AB independence ask are banks not offering mortgage forbearance forbearance anymore well the thing is that forbearance wasn't for all loans it was for federally backed loans that fe was it. federally backed loans and then investors don't always qualify for the same kind of help that traditional homeowners qualify for a lot of the forbearance were for at first they were for like homesteads and stuff like that and then they i think they opened it up to like multifamily but like it's also one of the things too, like a federally backed loan. It's like, okay, so say somebody like ourselves, like we don't qualify for federally backed loans. Right. So we have to go to the commercial lending market towards an individual bank, not the federal government backing yep. those loans to where like those weren't into it. So like you are, weren't qualifying for yeah. evictions and stuff like that. Do you have to go work that out with the bank and hope that the bank doesn't take the house back? So it's like, yes, federally backed loans were postponed, mm -hmm. but if you have a commercial loan, like a lot of these invest bigger investors, investors have, you don't have that. And then it's also to say, like, what is the bank going to do? That's still a question to be resolved. Like, if you were in a moratorium or post forbearance, are they going to want all that money at one shot? Are they going to do a loan modification? Regardless, even doing a loan modification costs money oh, yeah. to do. So even if you do have the moratorium to where it's like, uh, and the forbearances, you say, okay, well, I'm going to redo my loan. Yeah, but now you still got to pay three, four, five thousand extra dollars to go through that loan process to get the um loan modified yeah. so it's saying like yeah so regardless like the landlord's still going to one getting screwed on the short end of the stick and it's also like that's their job like they're a landlord if there's somebody that owns 5 10 20 homes and then like they get income from those homes and they sustain their lifestyle by that and it's in like oh well yeah you're just cutting off the knees of my lifestyle completely so now they're in the same boat to where it's like now when they go to refinance like well you don't have any income from last year like yeah cuz i didn't have my rental income because nobody was paying. So now you don't qualify for a loan refinance. So it can cause uh, all kinds of problems. And, and it's upsetting because, you know, they then the landlords are the assholes now for evicting tenants. But it's like, what the hell do you want them to do? 
Yeah. You, you know, like they are not they are not the government. They don't have a printing press. Like we cannot afford to keep making mortgage payments, taxes, insurance, everything and not collect anything. Like we just can't afford it. That's yeah. that's that doesn't work. And the majority of the best rentals that people like are provided by investors. It's not government housing. So you're hurting the people that provide the best rentals and the best pro product for the market. Right. So I, I think while it again, I, I completely feel for the tenants that are struggling. And yet at the same time, I struggle to understand that, because if we look at San Antonio and we've talked about this before or even Texas in general, there's plenty of employment opportunities. Oh, right? yeah. Are they what you would like to have? No. I agree. I understand that. I, I, I even sympathize with the fact that you're probably going to do a job that sucks, right? But guess what? You're still doing a job. You're still getting paid. You're going to be able to pay your bills. You're going to be able, and it's just until, you know, you're able to either gain the skills or find a better job or be able to transition to something better. But choosing not to work just because you don't like the job that's available I don't think it's a good enough reason to let them not pay rent or pay their mortgage. Like, no, you know, there's, there's jobs available. You know, I agree. They probably suck. Contractors right now, they're so low on labor. Contractors are running low on labor. They need people want, that are willing to work. But the problem is like, again, and with unemployment, with all these benefits and the fact, and, and it's not even that unemployment benefits is the fact that the unemployment benefits don't ask for any real justification to why you need it. It's just apply and you get it. Right. And I think that's kind of the issue of like, why don't we give it to the people that truly need it and not everybody that's just convenient and collect unemployment because they rather collect unemployment and stay home, then go get one of these shittier jobs and actually make a, a living, you know what I mean, for themselves. So, I mean, I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that? Like, do you agree with that or wh what are your thoughts? I mean, I, I agree to your point. It, it just, it's a very tricky situation of yeah. where we're at right now, like what to do. And then, I mean, with the unemployment benefits that people are getting and the labor shortages and like the, and it's the same thing, like I've talked about, like that. I think there's an underlying motive that they're trying to do of like trying to create inflation and they're trying to incentivize people to pay more money to these entry level positions to incentivize them to come out of unemployment to where it's like, Hey, uh, I need my labor. So, and I mean, it, they've already said that you see articles all the time that like the hospitality industry is now starting like, we need people to increase to, to order to grow and facilitate the business that's coming from the people that kept their jobs. The only other option we have is we have to increase wages instead of paying 12 bucks an hour and have to pay 14. Okay. We're still not getting 15, 16. And now when somebody's hired at 16 bucks an hour, you can't go back and say, ah, well, I'm going to offer you only 12 bucks an hour. Now you can't go back once yeah. those new prices adjust. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of, <laughs> and this is a touchy subject for everybody. So before I hit that, if you're enjoying the show, make sure you hit that thumbs up uh, before I piss you off with the next comment. But that was also the thing with what we've been talking about with raising the federal minimum, uh, the minimum. Wow. Minimum wage. Raising the minimum wage um, federally, like pretty much across the board to $15 because they feel like it's going to pull people out of poverty. And we are seeing this even right now where it's like, 
It's not though. <laughs> All you're doing is raising the poverty line. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're raising the because short term. I guess they yeah. say it's one of the most direct ways to affect the poverty. Like, yeah, in the short term. And it's like it'll work for a while, but then it's going but to But even readjust. even still, like you look at the market of how crazy it's getting and how fast it's getting that crazy, that I think the market itself is gonna get to fifteen dollars minimum. Be, before the 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 force of the federal government even takes effect because yeah. you're seeing this across the board where it's like guess what do you want more people you want employees you want all that you got to pay more you know we saw amazon right re recently raise their wages again yeah so you got to pay more to get people to have them say well you know what my unemployment isn't covering my bills anymore because now it costs more to buy groceries it costs more to buy all these things so I actually need to make more money. So you need to go and get a job that is paying you more than unemployment. And we're starting to see those come up more and more and more because of the same issues, right? Yeah. And we're also, of course, we're going to see more automation. We're going to see more, you know, systemizing of, of things and automating of things where you're going to need, try, people are going to try to cut back on people. But at the end of the day, I think there's always going to be jobs that you need people for, Yeah. right? So I, I'm looking at that and I'm seeing that and it's like, yeah, you, you know, it's a, it's a tricky situation, but then at the same time, it's like the longer you take to adapt to this market and to these changes as a business owner and as somebody potentially looking for a job, like the harder is going to be for you to compete later because the people that are willing to compete, they're competing right now. Yeah. Like they're moving, they're busting their ass right now, taking up the, I remember when COVID first happened. And we have a, a very close friend of ours that he's a real estate investor and they have a lot of Airbnbs and they got hit hard with Airbnbs at the time. I remember he started doing shipped and I don't know. So I want to say some other service, right? And he was out delivering groceries, delivering food, delivering. They weren't hurting, but he's like, my income from these Airbnbs just stopped. I know I'm going to be hurting. So let yeah. me start doing this shit now. And at first, like you could tell when he even told us that, that like he felt a little embarrassed, right? Yeah. Oh, you're a real estate investor. Now you're doing that. But like, I was like, dude, I honor you for that because you're doing what you need to, to take care of your family. Screw ego. I don't yeah. give a damn. I don't want to be a real estate investor and broke. You know what I mean? Like that means absolutely nothing. You want to be making money. So I think people need to start kind of moving past their ego or else when these eviction moratoriums, uh, as they end, as the forbearance ends and all that, a lot of people are going to be, you know, in some tough waters and they're yeah. going to have to start on. No, I mean, like out of that, it's just like, hey, you've known this has been coming for quite some time. Yeah, so, it was but a I mean, matter of time. Yeah. So uh, on another topic on, uh, re related to this is uh, we talked about this last week. So Fannie and Freddie are Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. They're proposing a refi option for lower income people so now they actually posted a date of when this is going to be available so fanny's refi now is the name of um their refi option drops june 5th while freddie max refi possible will be available later in august it's s it, this is just a little recap of what we talked about last week if you weren't here is and it's estimated that the options intended to pave the way for lower income borrowers who missed out on the massive refi wave in 2020, we'll save homeowners an additional 100 to $250 a month on their mortgage payment. And that's a, that's a substantial savings. And then they're also going to have lenders must ensure borrowers save at least 
$50 a month on their mortgage payments while simultaneously dropping their interest rates by 50 basis points. And the FHFA will also require the lenders to provide a maximum of $500 credit for an appraisal if the borrower is not eligible for an appraisal waiver, which the government-sponsored enterprises, so Fannie and Freddie, will reimburse to the lender once the loan is sold to them. So this is for all borrowers with a loan balance of under 300 grand. The borrower must have an income at or below 80% of the area's median income to and be current and be current with their payments for the last 6 months and with no more than one missed payment in the last 12 months. So here's where it gets interesting is that industry leaders commented on this stipulation given that a number of borrowers who are in this income bracket likely took out some form of forbearance and FHA has yet to clarify whether forbearance plays a factor in this qualification. So they're, they're still waiting for a lot of guidance and, and stuff like that on this. And there's still other factors where your loan to value has to be greater than 97%, your debt to income no higher than 65%, your FICO no lower than 620. Um, so you put all these things together. And my question is more is like, so these first time, these uh, lower income households and everything that are making 80% or less of the medium income, what are the chances that they even at this point qualify for uh, all these that's things? What I'm, I'm thinking of right now, I'm like 80% of, okay, so our median income right now in San Antonio call 50 grand. Mm -hmm. At $40,000, what house are you buying? Yeah. At the price points, like, from what I know of housing here, it's a those houses that you could afford at the price points don't qualify for the these types of loans. Like they don't pass the underwriting of the house. They well, won't pass the appraisal. This is for a refi. This is for refi. So they already own the house. Okay. So so they already own the house. This isn't to buy a house. This is to refinance. Okay. But okay. still, like you still have to be a six twenty or higher credit score. When a lot of people, like we've seen, the majority of the people that got hit are your lower income. Because it's your entry-level jobs. All of those, especially, let's call it here in San Antonio, right? I don't think you can even qualify for mortgage if you're below 620. I mean, even FHA. No, but like let's say you had 620, but because of the crisis, your credit dropped. Well, in that case, then you probably missed, well, then you missed your mortgage payments. Exactly. So you wouldn't qualify for it anyways. So that's my, so. that's what I'll be curious is to run some analysis. And Brian, if you're listening, that'd be uh, some good little research to do. Um is to run some analysis on saying, okay, out of the FHA borrowers and everybody, like, what is the percentage that, with all these stipulations, actually qualify for these new uh, programs? Uh, you know, I'm not saying that it's not high. I'm just curious, like, what is the percentage? I would hope that they had more foresight to look into before setting these stipulations of saying, like, we got to set them where the majority of the people will qualify, yeah. right? So I would hope they did that research first. But, you know, something curious to to think about as we go with that. Um, and then I did have, where was it? Here in San Antonio. Oh, here we go. So for some local business news, uh, employment news, this is some bad news that's coming down the line, is a San Antonio call center is laying off 245 workers. 
So New York-based Conduit Global said it plans to lay off 245 San Antonio employees and close its call center at, uh, well, here in San Antonio, by June 25th. An unforeseen loss of business led to the decision to cut its entire San Antonio workforce, said uh, Tina Hogg, Conduit's vice president of human resources. Uh, the company described its situation in an April 26th letter to the Texas workforce. Under state law, employers must give 60-day notice of mass layoffs. I didn't know that. Um, the closure and the layoffs are expected to be permanent, says the CEO. The company will work with the Texas Workforce Commission to connect employees to the services available to them. So... I mean, it's pretty much, it's a done deal. They're closing down shop. They're getting rid of 245 people and a call center. This is again, entry level jobs, right? So you're pretty much firing 200 and, and I'm, I'm not blaming the business. I mean, it is what it is. You, you know, you, you don't, you things come you, and go, you yeah. go bankrupt, you go bankrupt. Right. Which is, it doesn't seem the case. It just seems like their business is not as strong to sustain it, but you have, the, um, you have these people that are getting laid off, 245, just as everything is stopping. Evictions moratoriums are stopping. Forbearance is, I don't know, suppose it's going to be stopping, supposedly. Well, I mean, the thing is you, you can't apply for those. You still have the enhanced employment benefits for, for now, five but, more months. But then what we talk about is you have inflation, that's, things are getting more expensive, all these things. So, I mean, it's kind of like a pretty shitty time to drop 245 people that are all going to be looking for a job at the same time, right? Well, but I mean, you have record high employment opportunities for entry level positions. You do, but it, so, for those people, it's still probably and call like, centers, holy crap. And call centers do not make great money. Like my brother worked for one, and it's like, you I agree. Are, like, so I was like, I think those 240 people is probably one of the things, like, it sucks that they have to go find a new job, that, that process, yep. but it's like, there's no better time to be trying to find a new job because there's plenty of jobs out there that probably pay at what you were or higher than what you were making at a call center. So yeah. I, I say it's the opposite to where I think, no, thank God it, they're laying you off now and not six, eight, nine months ago when there were no job openings. Right. So, I gotcha. So, I mean, I think it's, a, I mean, it's never good to lose your job kind no. of situation. I sympathize with that aspect, but I think it's like, Hey, at least right now we're in the bottom of an economy coming out of a situation, recession, whatever you want to call it to where there's, opportunities businesses expanding uh, you can go find a new and, position you know interesting i was uh talking actually yesterday to the same tenant she has uh her dad that owns a farm and they were talking because we were talking about just i don't know we were talking about just how crazy oh uh food costs have gotten and everything and she says well she says every time he goes to buy cat cattle 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 cows cattle 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 um, every time they go to buy cattle and for processing, for making meat and everything, they're like, the sales have completely dropped off. And I was like, I don't understand. Why is that? And they're like, because they, they can't, um, the prices, they're like, the prices are insane. The prices are too low. And I was like, okay, explain this to me. I was like, we're paying ridiculous prices for, for meat and everything right now. So what's low is she says that the people selling the cattle have jacked up their prices so much because of demand because of all this that now the people that are processing the meat to sell they can't afford those prices or they won't 
buy those at those prices. So you have the suppliers of cattle are asking way too much and the buyers don't want to pay that. So that's what's driving up uh, meat costs, according to her. She's like, that doesn't make sense. What doesn't make sense? That, that, that economically business, that doesn't make sense. I it's like builder, people are paying more. Sellers want more, but the middleman's like, so we're paying more. Who's making that extra money? Exactly. That that's where I. So that's where I find. It, but the only thing that I'm thinking is that the sellers are even asking more than what makes sense, even for the price that we've gotten here, right? I, I just. I also see it from the seller's point of view of saying like, I'm not in a rush. My cattle don't rot. You know what I mean? Like I just keep up with them, and prices are keep going higher. So I'm fine if I don't get my price. I'll just. Well, hold it's on also to my one cattle. thing is like it sucks for the cattle. Like cows aren't no maintenance. Like you have vaccinations, you have to give them. You have food costs. You have feed. You have gas. Like, yeah, but it seems all like prices the- are gotten higher. All their costs are gone through the roofs. So they're like, yeah. I have to pass that down the chain. And so, in, in order to make this make sense, I need to sell my cattle at this price. And then the end consumer, I think it's just like from. Farmer to consumer, there's a lot of people in the in between that that's got to go through. And I'm so not and they, I'm not saying that this makes sense for them to do it. I'm just saying like it's crazy that this is happening. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. It's yeah. like the same thing. It's a supply chain issue to where it's like they're trying to find their new equilibriums or new balances of what the costs actually are. Yeah. And then like you're meat packing, like they're probably not the you're not making a hundred grand a year being a meat packer. It's the same kind of ordeal. It's like they need labor. They can't get labor. To where yeah. it's like, I can't pay these prices because I can't get people to process the food. Mm-hmm. And so now our prices are coming from our distributors. Uh, so it could be like, yeah, people are paying more at the grocery store, but we can't produce enough to make a profit because we don't have enough people working to produce that volume. And yeah. what we can produce, we can't afford the cattle. Yeah. So it's like everything's in a, a yeah. this mess of trying to like find these new prices, these new things like where things are prices are going to go up. And like yeah. that is for sure. And the federal unemployment benefits and all of the stop work order, all the stuff that's been going on, the stock closing economies, that's going to cause this problem. And I think that's what they're wanting to do. They're wanting to create these imbalances. They're wanting to force wages higher. Yeah, we can't get $15 a guarantee minimum an hour, but we can pay people not to work. Mm. And if you want to expand your business, the only way you're going to do that is to increase what you're paying people. And then now you've got to increase your cost other down the line. And um, now they're trying to raise capital or corporate taxes and i mean it's going to cause inflation and i mean we can get in i'm mean, yeah. trying to work way into this and i think that is a big topic we can talk about because i mean even the uh the the fed warning about the significant declines like one of the biggest threats to the economy in the stock market right now is inflation and costs going up to where they would have to raise rates for some reason in order to uh keep the economy safe and not overheating so, mm. all right, but go, you want to go into an article? Yeah, what was that mm, part though? You don't no, think rising? You don't think rising rates is poses a threat? No, it's not that I don't think rising rates is posing a threat. Is that I don't think they're gonna be raising rates. You know, because again, like we talked about, they want to encourage inflation. They want to. Yeah. Get, well, yes, they so will. That, that's what they are doing. See, but it's like, but if it starts to get in a runaway position like they'll be forced to but at a certain, certain point how do you determine the runaway position when they keep we covered this before on how the fed came out and said they were changing the metrics yeah on what they considered to be inflation what to consider to, all these things so 
Like if, but it's also the Federal Reserve doesn't control. They control short-term rates. They don't control they all control rates. They control everything. They don't control they everything. They run everything. But it's like at the, but it's also like they there's a certain metrics that yes they can influence them, but then that causes other repercussions that they don't even know exist. Yeah. To where it's like yeah they can buy bonds and stuff like that, but that just blows their budget completely out of the water. Now that destabilizes the dollar in a world currency, allowing other people to come up that aren't doing this factor. So you still have the competitiveness across the uh, global scale across all currencies. So. An article I've actually had in here for quite some time, uh, I just never had the opportunity to get to, is Bank of America uh, is saying we're in a secular turning point for inflation. So since the election of President Joe Biden, inflation and its potential comeback have been a hot economic topic. Pumping trillions of dollars into the economy could overheat it, critics say, while others see few signs of runaway inflation, either now or in the near future. Bank of America chief investment strategist Michael Harnett has been enough to declare a secular turning point on inflation anticipates that stock market returns will be lackluster over the next decade. Stock investors who've seen a roughly 10% annual return from recent decades should expect that gain to go down to 3 to 5% over the course of the 2020s, he added. But he is but he has a recommendation. Real, real assets are a more overlooked part of the market that may offer investors protection against inflation while diversifying their portfolios. Ding, 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 real estate. Mm-hmm. In a recent note, Harnett said that real estate commodities and even collectibles like wine, art, diamonds, and cars could outperform the over the next decade. Investors don't need to own the physical asset, Harnett added, but instead can own REITs and specialized funds that focus on these types of assets. So it's one of the things like even big banks are saying like, man, uh, inflation, seeing, I mean, what they do, like call it what it is, they're just like, they're changing the metrics. So there is obvious inflation. I mean, Brookshire Hathaway is even coming out and saying that's next article I can get into. But there's signs that plenty of inflation is coming through, even though they don't say, oh, we're still at 2% because they move the metrics around and they focus on the lowest tier of everything. So even even talking about that, right, There, there's obvious inflation and all that. It's still, is it bad inflation that we're seeing? So is it inflation that's actually causing a problem? Because if you're saying, oh, there's this crazy rampant inflation, but then you see more and more people are still buying those higher prices with no problem. I mean, like the demand for a lot of these things are through the roof. You know what I mean? It's not like demand is dropping because people can't afford it. So then what what is considered to be a point where it's like inflation is crazy now, right? When people are still, I mean, relatively, it depends. Again, they change the metrics, but like unemployment keeps dropping. Uh, You know, the housing market keeps booming. People are buying houses, overpaying for houses. Stock market is booming. All these things, speculative investments are booming. Um, You have all these things are, are expanding substantially. So it's like, you know, well, you get what I'm going. Well, like, it's also where's the things problem? Like they, they talk you know? the current administration wanting to fix the income gaps and the inequalities, and it's like, well, the stuff you're doing is creating and making the gap even bigger because now we just talk about FHA buyers. Let's are usually of the lower tier people that are trying to quote unquote help are the ones that are being punished the most because like they can't afford these things. They can't compete with people with cash. You know how much money you give them, they're still can't compete because their credit scores aren't there. Right. So it's it's one of those like. What is good inflation? What is bad inflation? 
Who knows? Well, so that leads to this article that the Fed warns about potential for significant declines in asset prices as valuation climbs. So you just talked about pretty much all the assets, you know, real assets and stuff like that going up, but they're talking about there's a chance for them to come down. It is in its semi-annual financial stability report, uh, and I'll probably put a link to the financial report in our website as well. Uh, Very interesting report, very long. Um, The central bank said that while the system overall has remained largely stable, even through the COVID-19 pandemic, future dangers are rising. In particular, should the aggressive run... Yeah, in particular, should the aggressive run on stocks tail off? So investors have snapped up equities, corporate bonds, and cryptocurrencies. They've poured billions into blank check companies called SPACs. And the market has been mostly brisk for traditional initial public offerings. That's crazy. High asset prices in part reflect the continued low level of treasury yields. However, valuation for some assets are elevated relative to historic norms, even when using measures that account for treasury yields, uh, the report states. In this setting, asset prices may be, value, may be vulnerable to significant declines should risk appetite fall. The report also mentions the risk at hedge funds and other non-bank financial institutions on several occasions as potential threats to the system. Vulnerability associated with the elevated risk appetite are rising. Valuations across the range of asset classes have continued to rise from levels that were already elevated late last year. The combination of stretched valuation with very high levels of corporate indebtedness bear watching because of the potential to amplify the effects of a repricing event. So the Fed goes into a few specific scenarios that show potential risks to the system. It specifically talked about the Archegos capital management episode when the firm could not meet margin calls, causing several large banks to take big losses. So we've talked about this before countless times. And we talked about the SPACs. These are these uh, blank check companies that they go public. So then they're able to help other smaller businesses go public for a fraction of the cost and a fraction of the time, you know, and they can essentially become a publicly traded company. Um, they're highly speculative. You know, you're essentially investing. It's what they call a blank check, blank check company, because you're essentially investing in a company that's not worth anything until they buy a business that yeah, you're buying, is you're, or you're isn't worth in, something. You're, what you're really paying into is the leadership team. Exactly. So Mark Cuban is a part of one. There's other celebrities and people that have joined SPACs. Um, we talked about NFTs. This is another area that we saw NFTs. We covered that, I believe, last week, that they, a lot of NFTs crashed more than 70%. And there's a entrepreneur, a very smart businessman in the U.S., Gary Vaynerchuk. For those of you that don't know, look him up. Uh, but Gary came out and he said, he's like, oh, yeah, there's definitely a winter coming for NFTs. He's like, you cannot just create an NFT just because I'm a celebrity. So I'm going to create an NFT and it's going to sell for millions. Like, there's, you still got to provide some value. And that yeah. was the problem with NFTs. So for those of you that don't know or weren't, uh, haven't listened to that episode, 
please go back into our uh, the playlist for Coffee with the Johns and check it out. But NFTs in a nutshell are it stands for non fungible tokens. So NFTs are actually you were buying an art of no a digital something, right? So it could be digital art. So if somebody has the original Picasso, they'll sell a digital copy and say, this is, there's only 10 digital copies. So those 10 digital copies are worth, you know, a million a piece. Uh, you know, I don't know what the Picassos go for or whatever, but I'm just saying like, uh, call it a million a piece because they're original. So you buy it because nobody else is allowed to have another digital copy, supposedly. And you own An authentic a, digital copy. Right. And you own a digital copy of a Picasso. So that's supposed to be worth something now, even though it's a digital copy. So I don't know. To me, those things, we talked about it and we talked about it extensively in that one episode. And I'm still, I'm not surprised. I even said, I was like, this, this shit is going to crash with all the speculative ones. And even Gary just came out with his own NFTs, but he came out with, in my opinion, NFTs that made sense, where he's even hoping that he sets the standard for how you come out with NFTs, where he, his NFTs, you're buying something that's later going to give you access to a one-on-one -on -one call with him, a VIP access to one of his talks. Uh, you know what I mean? Like it gives you actual value for owning that NFT. It gives you access to something at a later date for whatever he does, where that makes sense, right? Because Gary Vee is somebody that a lot of people want to get access to. Yeah. But buying, you know, uh, Rob Gronkowski's highlight wheels, like, okay. Yeah, I've never understood. It's like, I can so I, I, I own this okay. thing that I can just go look at on YouTube? Yeah. And then you have cryptocurrency, right? We talked about cryptocurrency a lot where I feel like, even though I agree with crypto and I, I believe that it's, a, it's, it's here to stay and all that, that being said, I think the prices of Bitcoin right now are not because it's financially sound or you have smart investors. It's been purely speculative. So then you look at what the Fed was saying and they're like, when this their appetite for risk stops or slows down, we're going to start seeing a huge decline in all these well, speculative I mean, it's also if, if cheap money. I mean, they said one of the biggest... In that, in that same article that the, one of the biggest things is rising yields yeah. rising treasury bonds like if, if interest rates do rise oh my even god you and your rising yields even a small because it's a huge risk but they're not gonna raise them it doesn't well they already have you look at like they didn't raise the rates but mortgage rates increased by over and percent they're, they're back down to they're under not. three they're but that's still they're they're up over a percent than they were yeah. last year i mean the 10-year treasury is up a, uh, a percent already from last year so you can't say the rates haven't risen they no have. i'm not They've saying that got, they, they haven't have. but they're not gonna rise uh, rise them Risen? That's why I said they don't, them. they don't control them. And it's like the 10 year treasury note has risen from 0.5 to 1.5 over the last year. Well, even so capital like, asset price model, he says the Fed can influence long term rates by purchasing and selling 10 year and greater notes and bonds. So you so then so. they have let the rate rise then. Because it's one gone from. No, what are they buying right now? 1. They're buying 1, 120 billion, but they're buying, I think it's short term. Uh, they're bonds. buying everything. They're buying yeah. mortgage-backed securities, bonds. Yeah, I all think it's just stuff. that they so they, they can't can. influence them, but it's also they mm -hmm. can't. They're not the only influencer in the market. Yeah, they're not the only buyer. To where it's like they can't buy everything, and so it's one of those situations where um, it, it's hold on, no, it's not him. Uh, don't answer that one. Uh, <laughs> but 
interest rates do rise and like interest rates rise even like the corporate debt so that's why i said the biggest risk is corporate indebtedness and that was an issue yeah. in 2019 and that's one thing like the fed this problem was that started like they just used the pandemic as a reason to pump this money into the market and hide behind it as like they were already doing it in 2019 when the overnight lending rate went from 0.25 to 10 percent like there was a liquidity crisis in the market because there was so much debt out there but no yield coming back for these people to survive yeah so they needed cash in the economy so now they've pumped this cash in the economy to now but interest rates rise you're gonna be back in the same situation to where that's kind of the issues of these um all this debt that's gone over the mortgages and all the banks and the stock market can the, the SPACs and where it's the margin calls, it couldn't be met. That meant that that bank lent money to somebody and their value of their assets went down and now they need more margin calls and they couldn't raise the cash to put it back. Right. So like it's, it's derivatives on top of derivatives on top of derivatives, oh, just yeah. like what caused 2008 was the real estate, the derivatives around real estate, but now it's derivatives around everything because everyone's there to where like, I agree that they, they can't let rates rise, yeah. but at some point they can't be the only person buying a hundred trillion dollar debt market. Why not? Because then the dollar's worthless. It's worth nothing to anybody. It, it, but so the economic trade would fall apart. The world. But you're would, saying it's not worth anything to anybody. But you have the rest of the world that's doing the same shit. But so, they're saying they would. They're not at that point. So if the Fed is the only person buying, then the rest of the world isn't buying. Yeah, but they, right. But you're assuming that we are the only ones that keep spiraling out of control, and the rest of the world does great, right? Because there's no signs of any of that happening like everybody's hurting and everybody's doing the same model that the u.s is doing everybody's keeping up with the u.s so you have europe that they're we already talked about they have negative rates and they even have negative uh interest on their mortgages on their mortgage loans where you take out a mortgage you pay your principal and then the interest gets paid to you yeah you know so i mean when you have all of these that are going out worldwide, it's and like potentially it's it's all in uncharted territories and yeah. kind of thing. And that said, like, but the rising rates, like in the short term, near term, long term, like that is a threat you have to watch because they don't control the economy. They can do their best to try to do it, but it's a world global living thing that it's like they can try to influence as much as they want and can, but there's always external factors that they have to adjust their models to. Right. And do I think they would, they'd eventually pull it out? Like I do, but in the short term, if rates spike and go crazy and they have to force to raise interest rates or something happens, like, and uh, you see the banks are even talking about it. Like everyone knows that that is yeah. a potential risk. Oh yeah, but they're right worried. Now, everything is holding steady. But well, it's also they, one of the things we talked about, like right now, look how fragile the supply chain was with COVID. They turned the economy off and now you have this rampant problem across all these industries because it's so fragile. Yeah. But right now it's like interest rates and the economy, like it is just as fragile that like one thing can happen. One hedge fund uh, gets too overextended, too many banks and the existential risk of the connection around the global economy causes huge, massive problems. Well, especially when hedge funds too, they're controlling hundreds of billions of dollars. That's like if a hedge fund gets in trouble, that's a lot of trouble. Oh, they're getting it is. Into. And that's like, yeah, the central banks could just buy all the, everything up, but like, nobody's ever done that nobody knows what the consequences would be mm. so it's kind of one of the scenarios that uh who but, knows it doesn't um, seem like there is much consequences with things but th this goes back to what we always talk about like the point of all of this is for you guys it's not to scare anybody or or, or be pessimistic it's none of that it's just if you are one of these people that are listening right now and you're one of these speculative People that have been chasing Bitcoin, you've been chasing SPACs, you've been chasing N NFTs, uh, 
the stock market, all this, because one, you don't understand it, but you've been seeing that everybody's in it. So I might as, be, might as well be in it. This is stuff that you got to start slowing down a little bit and start actually doing some research. Actually spend some time researching all these things and understanding like, what is my risk exposure to this? What is my risk exposure to the market right now? You know, so it is something that you got to really look at and understand like, all right, so all these things are happening. Everything like this is happening. So then what can I do? I'm already overexposed in this area, that area. Start doing this. And I'm not saying pull out of everything. I'm just saying hedge your bets. All right. Because at the end of the day, every all of and these things educated. have been bets. And you have yeah. to stay educated to where it's like, hey, mortgage rates were rising and now they settled off and started to come back down. Uh, how, how do you stay educated? Watching Coffee with the Johns. There or you, you, or go. you join the text line, the 2107. I can only see the seven. I don't know the number. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so don't do a call to action when you don't know the number. That's embarrassing. So 210-794-9898 to join the text community and hit that thumbs I was trying up to if you're enjoying what we are saying I was and enjoy the show. I up letting you just serve it and just kill it and then you just didn't catch on. You're just like, man, we're supposed well, to be jiving You faded out, man. That was a terrible <laughs> serve. Um, what you got next? But. And I mean, along with the inflation, like even Warren Buffett, the owner of Brookshire Hathaway, arguably one of the best investors over the last 50, 60 years. Just not Brookshire Hathaway. What? Brookshire Hathaway isn't the best investment. They've gone, they haven't even beat the market in the last decade or so. Oh, yeah, I did. I did see that. So, uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, Warren Buffett is seeing inflation among Brookshire Hathaway's collection of businesses as the economic recovery for the COVID pandemic kicks into high gear. We are seeing very substantial inflation, the Brookshire chairman and CEO said at the conglomerate's annual shareholder meeting Saturday. It's very interesting. We are raising raising prices people are raising prices to us and it's being accepted we've got nine home builders in addition to our manufacturing housing and operations which is the largest in the country so we really do a lot of housing the costs are just up 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 steel costs you know just even every day they're going up inflation has begun to accelerate recently due to multiple factors including increased demand and struggles with some areas of the supply chain as well as much easier comparison with the pace of a year ago the core personal consumption expenditure price index say that three times fast yep. which excludes volatile food and energy prices rose 1.8 percent in march the fastest pace since february 2020 the headline number increased 2.3 percent the quickest pace for the measure since 2018 federal reserve jerome powell reiterated last week that he expects inflation to, to show a temporary move higher and then settle back down around the central bank's two percent target the fed has resolved not to raise interest rates until the economy sees full inclusive employment as long as inflation doesn't run too far above that goal so right. it's kind of one of those things we talk about the inclusive employment issue and the so as long as inflation doesn't run too far above the goal it's like well what's too far above the goal by your standard so it's one of those like we i i think we really understand we talk about it plenty of times we've harped on a lot it's like they're trying to devalue debt they are trying to drastically right. devalue all this massive debt so that they can raise interest rates because right now it's like the debt is just too damn high that they couldn't raise interest rates people couldn't refinance they need to let that those values and those dollars be wiped away so people can make more money and be afford interest rates to rise on their short-term debt well, and this is why <clears throat> we've said a lot about how the mortgage is essentially the asset at this point 
because mm -hmm. and not necessarily the house because as they keep devaluing that more and more and more you're essentially paying that mortgage back later at much cheaper dollars right you're yeah. you're paying that with much cheaper money so and obviously that means that you the values have gone up everything's gone up so right now the best investment you can make is in the mortgage itself because low interest rates they're devaluing the uh, all of this that, that's like yeah, you're going to have a it's one of the things. Investment. I was having the conversation with somebody and uh, they were talking about the truck shortage, vehicle mm -hmm. shortage. And now what was it like all of the rental car companies last year flooded the market with their vehicles. Yep. And now they're buying them all back and there's a massive shortage of vehicles. And then the supply chain for the semiconductors as far as chip manufacturing isn't allowing new vehicles to be made yeah. to where... Because they're, oh, they're low on chips. Yeah, uh, yeah. like microchips. Yep. And now the question becomes like, are used vehicles about to appreciate for the first time in history? They have been though. To where it's like, they, oh, you and I both up, bought a yeah. vehicle within the last two years. Yeah. To where it's like, is my truck now worth more than what I actually paid for it? Just for the fact right. that it's like, it's four wheels with an engine and a bed that has low mileage and is good condition. So it's like, huh. And, and not a bed for sleeping, which you could, but he's talking about a pickup. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we saw it. We were already talking about this even last year because when we went to buy, we thought, uh, well, when I went to buy last year is I was like, all right, all this is happening, everything. I should probably get a hell of a deal on vehicle prices. And I went and it was hard to find cars. It was difficult. They were like, no, these things are flying off the shelf. Like people are buying up vehicles left and right. So I was like, okay, well, that's an interesting trend. And of course, with all that demand, for whatever reason, demand spikes. Apparently, everybody decides to drive during a pandemic. Um, oh, no. So they had cash. Like, they were given free money yeah, and free cash course. and unemployment. Or it's like, hey, yeah. I can go buy a vehicle now. So you, you look at all that, and it's like, yeah, I mean, that's it's been driving up vehicle costs. Uh, the rental companies, they're buying used cars because they can't... Uh, buy new ones they're not fabricating new ones so i mean it's uh even a vehicle crisis is coming as well so i mean there there's a lot of things that are just like i mean that's what, what's, what's like, gonna be the the tipping that, point if any yeah well, yeah if any. or that or the market adaptability who's gonna be that entrepreneur right might be elon musk um that's Damn gonna it. come up with that solution to these problems because that's something that i agree 100 percent with is we cannot always wait for government regulation and the government to step in to fix things. I believe that the free market always comes up with much better solutions, much faster. So you see all of these problems and I wondered like, what is going to be that next thing? What is going to be that next solution that's going to come out? You know, that next Uber, Airbnb, that next idea that's like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. That's really innovative. That could definitely help out this situation. You know, like who's that entrepreneur that's going to create that next idea? That is so, it. Isn't that just the million dollar So question? as we, um, so we're getting to, you know, the last part of our show. And I wanted to cover this though, because we talked about why are people paying so much? Why are people overpaying? It's because we have so many people moving to Texas, to all these states, and they're coming in with a lot of cash. Well... Let's uh let's see why it is that people are moving. California proposed a 16.8% tax rate and wealth tax. Again, time to move. <laughs> that was the article. So people have already fleeing California, you know, by droves. We've seen even the big celebrities have left and everything. And, and people that can move, they will move. So one tax bill would raise the state's already strata 
stratospheric, stratospheric. stratospheric. top into income tax rate by up to 3.5% for every high income. The other is a controversial wealth tax. Currently, the income tax rate on individuals tops out at 13.3%, but Assembly Bill 1253 would raise to top tax rate of 14.3%, so a whole percentage point. For those making more than a million, over 2 million, you would hit 16%, 16.3, and over 5 million, the top rate would be 168 even before any proposed changes, California's top 1% of income earners pay most of the state's personal income tax revenue, 46%, in 2016. So in 2016, they paid the most, uh, most of the income tax. Most of the state's income, yeah. Uh, last year's bill to raise the tax rate to 16.8 failed, but the new bill comes as the economy is beginning to improve. The bill, the bills come when it seems clear that the federal tax, federal taxes are going up too, at least for some. And since 2018, the cap on deduction, undeducting state taxes against federal taxes is only $10,000. If you pay the proposed 39.6% federal tax rate and can deduct only $10,000 of state taxes, paying much bigger state taxes is even more painful. California, this is what I found crazy as well. California audit exposure can be frightening. And in some cases, California can assess taxes no matter where you live. Because a lot of people say, okay, well, I'll just leave California. Yeah. No. The IRS can generally audit Three or six years, depending on the issue. But California can sometimes audit forever. So they can oh, go God. back forever, wherever you are, they can come after you. Like the IRS, California has an unlimited number of years to audit if you never filed an income tax return. That can make continuing to file in California as a non-resident a smart play. The way you are... Just reporting your California source income, but not everything else. So this is, it's crazy, right? It's just one of those things that like, again, I, I would love to sit with politicians because this is something that you and I have spoken about. Taxes, the, you usually, right, to my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, is you lower taxes to incentivize people to do stuff, right? To companies to grow, hire people, whatever it is. You lower taxes to incentivize. You lower taxes for people to buy more you know, real estate property, investment properties, all these things, oil, whatever it is. And you raise taxes to essentially like you, the, the outcome of raising taxes usually stops or slows down a lot of those incentives. So in a state where people are leaving in droves and it's already expensive as hell. People are already Companies struggling. Companies are leaving. Yeah, small like businesses are still struggling because they've recently started like opening up little by little. So <clears throat> in a state that has all this, where's the logic of raising the taxes well, even more? Well, the thing more? is, and I'm glad you, I wish I would have put the mm -hmm. article in this because now you talk about that, this pans to it perfectly. And I was actually able to find this, that the article, the headline was, oh, freaking ads. Um, 
Silicon Valley saved California during COVID, but people still want to leave. And it talks about the tech industry. And uh, a second, it makes the point, like, why are they raising taxes? We all thought, like, it's a budget shortfall. They have to put up budget uh, shortstops. And uh, there's a section here. It's like, but despite all the fuss, it turns out that the industry best prepared to weather the pandemic was still centered in California, even as notable names like Oracle, Plantier, and Hewlett Packard uh, decamped and population growth stagnated. The financial success of the tech sector during COVID pandemic helped propel California to a $15 billion tax surplus for the upcoming fiscal year. A sharp turnaround from last year's projected $54 billion deficit. They're raising taxes, even though they have a $15 billion surplus moving into this fiscal year. They're like, this is like, what? Now, why are you raising taxes when you have the tax revenue you need for this next year already? Yeah. And then like, and it's like, if that goes like why people stay, it's like, I don't understand. It's just like, they're raising taxes on high income earners when they have the money they need already for the next year. It's like, why are they taxing you more? When they don't need the income, I get it. It's like, no, we need to raise income from somewhere in order for the state to survive. But they have the money for the state to survive, but they're still just taxing more. It's just like, why are you still there? What are you still doing there? Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, it's just one of those things that's like, it just it doesn't seem to make sense. It, it makes sense why more and more people, we see them just leaving California and everything. Because, I mean, you know, taxes, uh, taxes. Uh, Biden is proposing, he's pretty much pushing for the, the raise of uh, all the taxes, pretty much, right? You're going to have uh, supposedly taxing the wealth. And he did come out in a video, which I saved and I will be sending to the IRS, where he specifically said anybody under four makes under $400,000 will not pay taxes. So I am saving that and sending that the next time I file my taxes, be like, the president said anybody under $400,000 does not need to pay taxes. So there you go. But obviously he, he screwed up on that one, but he's raising taxes on everybody that's, you know, over 400 grand, people that are making over a million, all of this. And as we talk about with inflation, wages, with uh, investments, it's getting easier and easier to make over a million. Like it's getting easier and easier to become, you know, to start making over 400 grand a year. Like it's not, getting harder to get to those thresholds right so i'm like yeah. it, it, i think it's it's something that's um it's going to be very interesting to see how when that gets implemented to see how investors how people react to it if they become a little bit more strategic with how they sell their assets in which way so they don't get hit with a you know a million dollar windfall let's say yeah. or they start capping how much their windfall is or because i mean that's one thing that we always said you want to tax the rich, you want to tax the corporations, all that. They're not rich or in business because they're stupid. They know what they're doing. They, they're they very innovative. They have great teams around them. They're going to figure out ways so they can grow their company still. You understand? So it's like, I don't know. I mean, I think all these things are, they're very crazy. They're, it's just crazy to me. Like you think about it exactly like you just mentioned. You already made all the income. What are you doing? Like, what's the purpose of this? You know, so I mean, it's just raising money and for whatever future plans that they currently have. I mean, just like uh, uh, the new infrastructure plan Biden's trying to put out, and uh, the new corporate tax yeah, issues where they're talking about. And I mean, one of the things that um, Janet Yellen, 
uh, former Fed chair, now a Treasury secretary, came out and said, Yellen says U.S. pushed to end global race to the bottom on corporate taxes. <laughs> yeah, that was so hilarious. this, to me, I'm just like, why would anybody sign up for this? But I guess it's like you get all the, the leaders of the world coming out and <laughs> saying that you either have to abide by our rules or we're going to destroy you. Because one of them is like Ireland right now has like a twelve and a half percent corporate rate, which is a, one of the lowest, and a lot of companies do move there because of that reason. But if you have China, U.S., the Europe coming in saying no, you have to abide by our rules, or we're going to crush you, I guess they kind of forced their hand to do that. But basically. The U.S. is taking a two-pronged approach towards the goal of implementing a worldwide minimum corporate tax for corporations as it progresses through negotiations with global consortium, which means just a coalition of countries. Getting countries around the world to implement a bottom-level tax that all companies pay has been a global White House a goal. The White House has set to stop firms from relocating their home operation to two countries with cheaper rates. Along with the increase in the U.S. tax, we propose to raise the global minimum tax and to close tax loopholes that allow American corporations to shift earnings abroad, she told the Wall Street Journal CEO. We are very actively engaged with other countries to end what has been a global corporate tax race to the bottom, she said. I fear this race to the bottom globally with respect to corporate taxes is depriving economies of the revenue they they really say it's depriving the economies <laughs> of the revenue they need to invest in infrastructure education research and development and other things to spur growth and also impact corporate competitiveness i love how they twist that it's like because but the thing is like they actually believe this she yeah. actually thinks this and that's the way to think like you're depriving the economies so you're going to tax the people that drive the economy the corporations to give the government the money to do the work. So you're saying you don't believe in the entrepreneurs and the business owners and the small business to, to effectively drive the economy and run it. And you think the government should handle infrastructure, education, research, and development. You think the government and all their efficient markets, I mean, let's just look at the postal service. There's a pinnacle of efficiency uh, right there to where that is, it is, and that's who we have running these countries like right now as in the fiscal policy standpoint to where like, where's the accountability at that point? Global tax rate corporation. Cool. You pass all that, but you now don't have a system of competitiveness like Ireland right now. It's like they're low. So companies do go there now keeping the government of the United States and Europe and other governments around the world in check saying like, crap, we got to figure out better ways to run this more efficiently to generate more revenue, not waste so much money on pet peeve projects to make sure our corporation, our corporate rate can stay low and people don't relocate somewhere else. Yep. I just, I hate the fact that they're just saying, coming out saying like, oh, well, you're hurting the economy. It's like, no, you're hurting the economy by trying to oh. take off money. And that's where the thing like Bet David talked about, like, okay, raise the corporate tax rate to 25, 28, 35%, 40%. Go for it. Corporations still don't pay those taxes. No, They're not the ones that pay them. You do whatever you want. All they're going to do is pass those. They have to make margins. Their margins are pretty much industry standard. They're set for big corporations. That All that's going to do is pass those costs to the end consumer, the people actually paying for it. As like they don't pay those taxes. You, you It's a pretty word, raise the corporate tax rate. Okay, yes, the government makes more money, but they're not making money off the corporations. Directly, the government's the corporations cutting the check, but where do they get the money to pay for those, those things? They don't get it. They're not going to cut executive bonuses. They're not going to stop paying their employees less because those are competitive rates. If you raise them across the board, all of them at the same time, we're just going to raise their costs. That's all they're going to do. 
Yeah, well, you're, you're, you're going to create more inflation because even the government, okay, well, but okay, I get it. it the the customers, the employ, you know, the customers are playing more. Um, all this, I get it. Maybe some employees lose their jobs. That's okay, but we made more money, right? The government made more money to do what they need. But then, to do what they need, those prices are going to go up as well. Yeah. Right. So now you say you want to raise that money to, let's say, build, rebuild bridges, fix all this, do whatever infrastructure stuff. Those prices are going to go up as well because it's not like one industry is not connected to another. Right. And you're doing corporate taxes. You're hiring corporations and big companies to do these jobs. You're raising their taxes like yeah. it, it's it's all connected. So it, at the end of the day. In the short term, it's going to be painful for a lot of people. And then in the long term, we're going to be exactly to where we are again. It's and a revolving I think cycle. It never it, goes down. And then the same thing of, you know, oh, this is, uh, these countries are losing the tax benefits and all that. Like, that's how you become competitive really as a country. Like, it, it'll destroy, I mean, I mean, I guess it's like the top dog, like they control everything. The U.S. right now controls a lot of things just because we do have the biggest debt market. We do have the most liquidity. We do have the strongest economy and the largest economy currently to where these other countries like Ireland where it's like, Hey, our competitive advantage is the fact that we don't need that revenue. And we, that's how we are going to grow our economy. But now you're just going to destroy them to where it's like, well, now if I have to put 20%, I lost my competitive advantage. So now it's going to really hurt your third tier or second tier emergence economies that it's like, it doesn't give benefits for corporations to go there to invest in those economies because you have that issue. Well, and she closed out her articles and it's just one of the things that ultimately she said companies will pay more taxes in the US. But she said the revenues are necessary to help fund the expansive spending programs on the administration administration's agenda. So it's like, so you even <laughs> said right there, it's like, we have to tax more so we can spend more of your money on things we think are important. And yeah. it's just right there. I'm just saying like, the government wants to, and I mean, it, this is goes both ways. It's not just the current administration. I think it's all no, administrations. They've all like, done it. They want more power. They are themselves act like a corporation. So they want to expand their power and control as the government has to do it in a different way. So these expansive programs taking money, because once the government grows, it doesn't ever really shrink. Yeah. And no, it can't. No, because once those are all set, it's very hard to bring those things down because it's not like you one person has a rule that says, yeah. hey, uh, we're going to cut this division of a company. Well, the government can't do that. The government has to go through the legislative process of getting like 550 people to agree amongst everybody. It's a very political process. Yeah, and it's not going to happen. The danger, the danger of all this is for small businesses, right? So small businesses that as a small business, you're growing. And as you grow, yeah, you can probably you can potentially be making millions of dollars, right, in your small business. But as you're growing, that is not profit. Mostly that million dollars, millions of dollars that you're making is being reinvested back into the business for growth because you can't just stable off right there. A lot of businesses, like you have to grow. Yeah. So you have to be able to reinvest that money and you have to do it. And sometimes that doesn't get done in the same fiscal year. So you're making, you're paying now all these extra taxes where you're a company that's trying to grow, trying to build something maybe that's very useful, very good, whatever it is. And it's like, well, I, I can't keep growing because every time I do, I get hit with another 40% that I'm, you know, shoveling off. It's like, it's a, it's a crazy amount, you know, it's a, it's a large amount of money. So it's like, I don't know. Those are the things that I just don't, I don't understand. And uh, I, I'd just be curious to see like some 
actual brain power behind these policies of thinking more in the long term versus you know what looks good right now or what you think makes sense today but i did want to hit another one especially on taxes and everything is for those of you kind of tying back to the speculative side of investing is u.s courts authorize the irs to seek identities for taxpayers who have used crypto cryptocurrency so the a federal court in the united states has authorized the irs to serve a john doe summons on the crypto exchange kraken seeking identities of u.s taxpayers who have used cryptocurrencies uh the department of justice said on wednesday so the irs is seeking information about taxpayers who conducted at least twenty thousand dollars worth of transactions in cryptocurrency from 2016 all the way to 2020 exactly especially in crypto you can do that in a thousand with a thousand dollars like conduct at least twenty thousand dollars worth of transactions yeah well we just talked about article last week where the guy conducted like six million dollars worth of transactions starting with 20 grand because every time you buy and sell buy and sell yeah buy it, did, and sell, it didn't mean he had six out. million like twenty thousand worth of transactions is very very yeah. easy to do with a very small amount of money so those who transact with crypto uh, with cryptocurrency must meet their tax obligation like any other taxpayer acting assisting attorney general said uh of the Justice Department tax division. So there, and this is something that we've addressed before. These There's are things that anything that you are doing that is making you money, you need to keep in mind that the IRS needs to get their cut. They're the uh, they're the ultimate godfather, right? They, anything you do needs to come back. Part of it needs to come back to the house. Yeah. So a lot of people that are always trying to avoid paying taxes get away with it. Find these loopholes. They're going back to 2016, right? So it's like, they'll get you. Yeah, because what the, the big first boom was 2017-18 in crypto? No, it was a lot less than that. It was uh, when it hit 19,000? Yeah, that was like 2018. Oh, was it? Yeah, it was like 17 or 18. It was Years the first first bubble. like Because Bitcoin only came out in 2012 or something like that, 2010. Um, but it didn't really blow up. I think it was right around that time frame. And that's where I think like, okay, how about instead of like taxing people, let's go after the people that are breaking the tax laws that are currently in place. Yeah. I'm all for that. To where it's like, hey, go find the people that are breaking law because I'm abiding by the laws paying my taxes. Go after the people that are looping around and not paying their taxes versus trying to go after more. To where, what was it that uh, I heard? I know that David talked about on his, to where they're saying like, if we hire more IRS enforcement, spend $80 billion hiding more people, we're expected to bring in $800 billion in tax, uh, tax revenue. It was like, there's an investment that I can get behind. Spend eighty billion, make eight hundred billion right. off of people breaking the laws and yeah. not get and not paying their fair share that everybody else that's abiding by the laws is paying. It's like now there's something like closing tax loopholes and finding the loopholes that people are using to get around, like all four like cryptocurrencies, taxing those people that have made those huge gains in those aspects, playing yeah. speculative bets. Like that's because those laws are already in place. Like don't. Where I find it a little messed up is that you these weren't in place before, and now you're bringing it into place now. No, I'm talking about the ones that are no, already no, no. In place. Hold on, hold on. And then you're bringing it like I'm talking about like this one. Like you're bringing it into place now, and then you're going back to 2016 when this wasn't in place, and trying to grab everybody from then. But it on. was in place. What was in place? 
I'm just saying, like, they're going back to 2016 to find people that are breaking the law in 2016. Because they didn't, because they invested in crypto and what? They didn't so they bought, disclose? They, well, no, they, they bought it for 1000 sold it for 5000 You have yeah. a $4,000 gain there, and they didn't pay taxes on that gain. So the only way to not pay taxes is you didn't disclose that you did that. Yeah. Right. That's what they're. Okay. That's what they're going after you. is Oops. finding the people that made money. Yep. Because like, because like Robinhood and everything, they just you have like they know what you do on on Robinhood. Yeah. They do every transaction and they, they send you that bill. But some of these like cut these platforms that came out very quickly in that boom, like they didn't have the oversight. They like I don't know if Kraken's even a U.S. based company, but if it's based in a different country, they're like we don't give a shit what your laws over there. We're not it's our job to report that stuff to you. We're not a U.S. based company, so you're going to have to disclose that stuff yourself. So I think that's the thing they're going back to. Like now they have tools in their place to go after some of these platforms. Being like. No, now we know who transact and how they transact. We can figure out if you skirted the tax laws or not. So I think that um, that's where I'm, I'm all in favor is finding it because they broke the law. I yeah. had to pay my taxes in 2016, whether like, and I, I didn't play with crypto at all, but all of a sudden you made 50 grand in crypto and didn't disclose that, didn't pay your 10 grand. It's like, You're that's just some a hater. bullshit. You're so, a hater. Hater. Hater? Hating yeah, on yeah, the I'm crypto hating, millionaires. I'm, I'm hating against the people that- Hating like, on the crypto millionaires that, out there. In my mind, they cheated. <laughs> they cheated. Right. So change uh, gears a little bit as we start wrapping up is uh, herd immunity gives way to good enough as Biden sets new benchmark for a vaccine. So this is some good news. We're starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel of uh, this whole wearing mask and all this nonsense that's been going on. President Biden's new benchmark in the fight against COVID-19 ensuring 70% of American adults to get at least one shot by July 4th seems to be a tacit acknowledgement of what scientists have been saying now for months. Eradicating the virus that causes COVID-19 may not be possible, but if enough Americans get some protection, it It'll become manageable. The approach, so they pretty much are moving away from trying to eradicate COVID-19. They've accepted that it's like, this is just probably going to be a part of life. And yeah. they're saying, what we're trying to do is control it, where we don't have these massive spikes. So it becomes like the flu, right? It becomes like the next flu kind of thing. So that approach is being embraced by scientists and politicians alike as a considerably more pragmatic approach to dealing with COVID-19 than the idea of wanting... Uh, of waiting on herd immunity in quotes especially considering that a fourth a fourth of americans might never accept the vaccine and by march biden said herd immunity was a prerequisite to giving up masks we've got to reach the point where we have herd immunity meaning where we have a vast majority of american people have been vaccinated before we can stop wearing these um, <clears throat> holding up his mask. So the sudden slowdown so early in the rollout of vaccines has health officials warning that eradication of the virus might not be possible. Another concern is that potentially dangerous global variants could form overseas that threaten the efficiency of the vaccines. Health officials have already pre uh, predicted that booster shots will probably be needed for years. Scientists said the cons uh, the concept of herd immunity has always been uh, nuanced. nuanced and a difficult threshold to pinpoint. Although often taken 
to mean total eradication of the virus, herd immunity can also be defined around more manageable goals, such as dramatically slowing down transmission. So they've dropped the what they're trying to hit down to 70%. They're trying to hit 70%. Right, so the goalpost moved. Yes. Okay. I just so, want to make sure that everyone knows it's like, hey, this is what we're going after, but we're just going to go ahead and continue to move this thing over here and here and here. Correct. So then you have... Uh, you have, uh, they're moving the, the, damn it, they're moving the goalposts. They're, they're lowering the, the amount of people that need to get vaccinated. Wasn't it like 90% at one point? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. It was, it was, no, I think it was like 85 or something. Oh, okay. What's that, um, that celebrity doctor, uh, Fauci? Fauci? Yeah. Uh, the real housewife of, uh, doctors. He came, he was the one that said 85 or something. Now he also dropped his stance on that um but regardless this is good news right because the bars lowered more people are getting vaccinated um so far last i heard it was like over 200 million people have gotten some form of uh one or two shots no 200 million shots have been given so that could be you know one two shots whatever it I actually is saw a uh Yesterday, when I was just kind of scrolling through, just looking for articles, I actually found a post of like how many shots had been administered by state. So I had all the states, largest by population, yeah. how many people had the first doses and how many had both. And I think it was like, obviously, like uh, Texas and California were the top two uh, as a population. And that I think it was some close to like almost 50% of the population in each state had at least one dose of the vaccine and close to 25, 30% had both. So, um, but it's well, also according to this article, that's not true. So, according to this article, it was thirty percent so far. Of the population has been fully vaccinated of, what... the, of the whole population. Hold on, of the whole population, and then it was like Texas was one of the lowest vaccinated states in the country, um, and uh, like the the highest was California, New York. Like it's pretty much like political. all your red states have the lowest that, vaccinations and all the like blue 30, states. About thirty percent had been fully vaccinated. About fifty percent had at least one dose. Oh, but you were talking. Oh, I thought you said California and Texas. That, yeah, uh, so like they had a rank by state, and then there was very close to like yes, but the California national had average. A, yeah, it was. California, Texas is closer to like the twenty twenty five percent. California is like the thirty thirty five percent. Like so, but they were in pretty close ranges as far as people and uh, the doses and everything to where like 70% by 4th of July, it's like, well, that's two more months and you only need about another 20% per state on mm. across the average. Yeah. Like I could see that's doable, but it's also the rate of shots administered is falling. Yeah. Like towards people is like, I think it's up to like, if you're 16 years or older now, you can have, I think I got some text message or some advertisement somewhere saying that in Texas, you're 16 and older can now get shots are now eligible. So like they're opening up to more and more people. And cause I, I do remember seeing like doses are being wasted. Yeah. So yeah. Are, <laughs> they're like the dose, like we're sending them to all these States and like, well, they're just going to waste because nobody's taking this yeah because they have a shelf life they got to yeah. maintain frozen for a certain amount of time then you know they got to be used as soon as possible so i mean it, it's kind of nuts uh, but all said and done all of this what it's showing is that it's uh 
it's showing like it's going to be opening up more and more, especially as we get closer to the summertime. And their goal is hopefully like by September, we're pretty much hopefully getting rid of masks. But one thing I did have here that I thought was a funny, uh, interesting article was in New York, government Cuomo has uh, directed the pretty much the Mets, the Yankees and all other public form of gatherings to have divided sections for vaccinated people and non-vaccinated people. So you're going to have a okay. section where the vaccinated people are going to... Shocking is letting let unvaccinated people go out. Well, so you're going to have sections where the vaccinated people are going to be able to sit one right next to each other, crowd the whole area, everything is fine. And the unvaccinated are going to be distanced only 30% uh, in those sections and all of that. And everybody still has to wear a mask. Is he going to tax them too? <laughs> I can see him like, oh, if you're unvaccinated, there's a 20% surplus tax for the risk factor to the state of being able to go to this game. And, well, there's probably going to be something along those lines. Uh, so additionally, you know, so they, they're implementing that starting, I believe... Uh, I think that's starting like right now. Uh, stadium starting May 19th. Okay. So it's starting. Next week. Yeah. In two weeks. So it started May 19th. Mets, Yankees, which is great for the teams though. Because at this point, like, especially in states, like we talked about, the most people that have been vaccinated are in your blue states, right? So you have New York, California, all this. That's great news for sports, for teams, because it's like more people are getting vaccinated. That means that we can fill up the stadiums. You know what I mean? That's more revenue. That's it's stuff that they've been missing for quite some time that for the teams, it's excellent news, right? And then for the people, it kind of creates that issue because now it's no longer that you need to show that you have a negative test or you've had a negative test. Like now it's either you're vaccinated or you're not, period. Regardless if you've had a negative test, it doesn't matter. You're either vaccinated or you're not. And if you are, they're gonna be you're gonna be separated. How many years do you think it's gonna go by before it just becomes kind of just like the flu shot? So it's like nobody really cares if you got the flu shot or didn't get the flu shot. Just just from what I'm seeing going out and about, I feel like it's gonna be actually a lot faster than we would think. Like people are the even, people don't care. Yeah. You're saying because like right now nobody cares about the flu shot around the world that I know of, or, I mean, obviously here in the U.S. to talk about that. Um, no sporting events. Did you get your flu shot this year? Yeah. Nobody cares about that. No. How long before like the California, New York places just stop asking that question or try, stop trying to mandate and force well, that stuff? That's, so I think those are two separate questions, right? Like how long before they stop mandating it versus how long do they stop just asking? Right, because like okay, let's go with asking. Because you can, you can force if they have to if they're being forced to do it, then that is what it is. It's yeah, you know they're being forced to do it. But if it's like left to the discretion of the team and the organization and all that, I think it's going to be something that the organizations themselves are going to be like. I'm I'm saying my guess is five years. That long. I think it's got five years before it just becomes a thing of the past. Nobody even questions it anymore. And that's what I'm talking about. It like it literally becomes equal to the flu vaccine in the sense of did you get a shot or not? We're gonna all still constantly the average get your new COVID shot, get your COVID shot, get your flu shot, get your Well, so that was an, another like, thing that was were, interesting is that they're also having uh we will be setting up at the game a facility as you're going in, come a bit 
come a little bit earlier and get your vaccine at gonna, the game. You're going to get your vaccine. Like, you're going to get vaccinated. You yep. sit in the cool seats. You're going to have a drive-by vaccine. Uh, you're going to uh, you're going to the game anyway. It's on your way. Stop and get a vaccine, said Cuomo. The new seating rules uh, is, is for all large-scale outdoor events and venues uh, in New York. So, yeah, you're going to have this. And then you have the Mets are already saying that they will offer ticket vouchers to the first 250 fans who get their shots at City Field on the day oh, of the Mets home game from May 24th through June 17th. I mean, talk about an incentive plan. Here's you get a free ticket to a game yeah. if you let us stick a needle in your arm. It's kind of well, like uh, was it Krispy Kreme giving a donuts free for a year if you can go and show that you've had your And vaccine. I think you, you depending on the amount of people that because I, I think that's going back to it. It's like I think this is a huge incentive for the teams to push for this because the sooner they can get the stadiums full, the better it's going to be for them. Mm -hmm. You know, luckily you have in New York that you have large population of people around these stadiums that even if you say 60, 50% of the population in New York has gotten vaccinated, that's more than enough to fill up any stadium. You know what I mean? Like you'll have enough of a variety of people that you can fill up the stadiums anyway. Yeah. You won't even need to accept where now that's the next question is like, if you have so many people that are getting vaccinated and so many that aren't, would it get to a point where they're like, we're increasing our ticket sales to vaccinated only and unvaccinated people get a lower percentage of tickets because it's like, why the hell are we going to want to, you know, have scattered people scattered six feet from each other and everything on, on uh, half the stadium let's say when it's we can have like this the whole go, thing full. like yeah this could go different ways i hope it goes to the fin like in a couple of years it's just kind of just like the flu goes away nobody cares but it could also be like the deciding factor of like exactly that it's like yeah. if you want these low ticket you want good seats like you're gonna like segregate the but like if you don't want to sit in the 300 level at the very top where you the like, tickets are still ungodly expensive because they're limited in price and if you want good seats, you have to show vaccination or, and then like, but technology now ticks up to where it's like the augmented virtual reality where it's like, well, I don't even need to go to the damn games anymore. I was like, I well, can sit in my home. that hasn't started yet though. Huh? That hasn't really kicked in yet. But you saw how fast so, Zoom took off last so year. So would you do it? Would what? you get vaccinated no. to go to a game? No. I don't enjoy the game. You want to think much. about it? Huh? You want to think about it? No. Take a minute. All right. yeah. No. <laughs> I, I, I've, been to, I've been to games and the games are fun and stuff, but it's yeah. also like... I'm not like a diehard, I need to see the live event kind of thing. Cause even like, even concerts, like to me, the music still sounds better in a recording studio when I'm listening to it in my truck than being at a concert and listen to it live. As like, I don't know, the recording studio, the way they, they, the technology improves the music. Like, it's like, yeah, I'm just really not. And they're like, even games yeah. to like a football game. Like I've been to some NFL games and it was like 90 bucks a ticket. I was clearing the no nosebleeds and like the back corner of the end zone for like $90. And it was like, <laughs> when we were trying to watch the game, like clear over a squint and like, did he catch it? Oh, they're all yelling. Yeah, he caught it. We're like TV. I can see like you, you, you got to watch it on the jumbotron. Cause if not, you're yeah, not watching exactly. the game. Exactly. Doris is like, I agree. Uh, uh, on TV, the way technology is nowadays, I know go back like 40, 50 years when like, it was just kind of like a blur on the screen of bodies compared yeah. to now. It's just like, yeah, going to the game made sense because it made that a better thing to where like, unless like I can afford to sit like front row 50 yard line and see the action that close. Cause I've gone to some games where like, uh, sat like floor seats of the Spurs and it's like, that is actually pretty cool to where like, it's a whole different 
level of entertainment when you're that close to the action. 100%. To where like, but at that point, like if you have that kind of money and spending power, it's kind of like, well, I can just buy my freedom. Cause we know with a lot enough money, you can influence things and get around a lot of laws. laws all right. Aspects. Now you're breaking the law. So all right, no, let's move on from this. Uh, Brian Pauling says in Ireland is given beer when you get your vaccine. Uh, that's of not surprising. They are. Of <laughs> um, course they are. <laughs> but, uh, before we wrap up, uh, I wanted to actually touch on this because you've been wanting to talk about it for quite some time. Um, so we might go over a little bit, but Texas Senate approves bill allowing people to carry handguns without a license. So in case you did not know, they've been uh, talking about this for quite some time now. And the Texas Senate has voted 18 to 13 margin to advance a bill that will allow people to carry handguns in the state without a license. Um, setting, up the, setting up the states to be the largest in the country to allow permitless carry. So this is now going into, uh, so it went from the Senate, the bill now heads to the House, which passed similar legislation earlier this year, but will not consider changes the Senate made to the bill before sending it to government Abbott's desk. So it said um, the bill would recognize the United States Constitution as our permit to carry and allow a, all law-abiding adults aged 21 years and older to carry a gun, a handgun, for the protection of themselves or their family in public areas in a holster without the requirement of a state-issued license, said the Senator Charles, or whatever, uh, who sponsored the bill. People are prohibited from possessing a handgun will still be prohibited from possessing a handgun under this bill. Nothing in this bill regarding possession is changed. Uh, so Democrats say more criminals are going to walk around with handguns openly. I promise you, said yeah, Senator Roland laws. Gutierrez. Uh, said during the floor debate, according to the Dallas Morning News, more vigilantes are going to rise up. So here's my just my quick take on this. First of all, I think if as a Democrat or as the opposite party, I, I mean, I, I don't know. To me, it's like, why is it a Democrat Republican thing? Like, let's look at it. For, but whatever. So as a Democrat, you're arguing against this. You are literally saying that now, because of this, criminals are going to carry their guns? Like, they're criminals. They don't, they don't give a yeah. crap about the like law. like they've already proven that like, they're a criminal for the reason they broke the law. Use they something didn't... else to argue. Like my, my thing against this is that I, I'm thinking, like, you're making it too easy for somebody that just has a clean background check, right, to own a gun, and they could be a complete freaking moron, right? Owning a gun is very serious. I think there, I still believe that you should take a class in order to buy a gun first. Like your first gun, I think you should have re well, I mean, you required just got, like, driver's education. Yeah. In order to drive a car, getting in the public, you have to drive that. Like in order to, uh, as a child, you have to take a hunter safety course before you can get your permits to go out hunting to realize yeah. like, hey, don't wave your gun around pointing at people. It's like, that's a very serious thing. 
plus having a license to own a gun like i i've, I've gotten my license like, i know it's like i just say like it's I'm, not that difficult yeah like i'm very i'm really indifferent on it. like i couldn't care either way on it because i can see from one side that i think people constitutionally do have the right to protect themselves but from the other side it's like i don't think it's a bad idea that somebody at least ha- knows like hey can you competently shoot like, yeah. do you know how a gun works? Like, when it goes bang, do you know what happens? Well, and then let's talk, like, when I did my licensing class, uh, when I took the class, like, they talk about the repercussions. The, of, yeah, the like, laws behind, yeah. like, hey. So, it's for somebody that's completely oblivious, uneducated about things, well, I've had I had preconceived notions about owning a gun, how, how you can defend yourself. I was wrong. Like, there are some areas that you think you're in your right to defend yourself. You are not at all. Yeah. You understand? So it's like all of these things you should know because if you do it and you're thinking that you're within your right, now you well, could be facing years in but jail. But it's also like you, there's different aspects to the law. They were like criminally, the law is in your favor. You did nothing wrong, so you're not going to go jail for that. It's like, but civil penalty oh, is a completely yeah. different rule to where like it, like i think understanding the laws and knowing the competency to shoot are like some are decent prerequisites but the other side of it, that's why i said i'm indifferent about it um but it's also it's like kind of the what happens is like one side pushes saying we're gonna make guns so much harder and the other side uh my ass you are we're going the other direction with these laws because like they've this article i think even said they've tried to pass this multiple times and it's never made it through yeah but now since the current like presidential administration is trying to push the other direction you have states that are going the complete opposite direction because like texas isn't the first one to do it no i was like i think this is like the fourth or fifth state that's now like on the verge of passing i think it's what louisiana florida iowa uh they've all passed it already saying you can now constitutionally carry without a permit towards like yeah, that's what happens when you try to force these things down uh, people's throats. And it's like you do have states that like if you're going to take that hard of a stance, we're going to go the opposite direction. To where- I, I think it's stupid because I think it's just that it's like you're acting like children. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you're going to do this? Well, and I'm going to do this back. And, and, like, like, and who suffers? We do. Of the public. It's just like, hey, I, I don't think it's a bad idea. So it's like- let's say you because let's say your issue is with the fact that it's called a permit. I should not have to pay to have a permit to carry a gun fine don't call it a permit call it whatever the hell makes you happy and makes you not get triggered but like i still think that if you're gonna buy your gun you're gonna go buy a handgun something that you want to carry right because i don't think people are going to be walking around with a shotgun or a rifle everywhere they go it's could get potentially uncomfortable and if you set it down to pick up some eggs you might forget your rifle so <laughs> you, you know i understand a handgun so you need to take a class you need to take a class that once you take the class you can buy whatever you want yeah but at least there's some education being given out because i don't believe that the majority of the people that own guns are criminals or have an intent to be a criminal you understand yeah. i don't believe that's the majority i think the criminal majority and i don't think i mean you can look at the stats the the majority of criminals is a, such a small percentage to the overall population yeah. right so and they're going to have guns regardless of what the laws are. That's why they're criminals. So, well, it's like look at states of like, or cities like Chicago, like it's constantly rampant with murders and like all yeah. kinds of stuff. And like, you can't carry guns there. So it's like, there's an argument to your test, like, oh, all the criminals and stuff like that. Like, and it hasn't stopped your blue run states either. No. Like, they're actually some of the worst offenders of yeah. like violence and like, and people can't they, carry. They just hide the gun. I mean, it's yeah. like, just because you can, oh, now you can carry, you're going to see all these criminals carrying guns. And it's like, 
they're carrying them anyway. They just tuck it in their shirt. Like it doesn't stop somebody that's gonna do bad from doing bad, regardless. You understand? No. So that being said, like I rather still educate the uneducated. You understand? Like at least give them a basic floor of education where it's like here you're not a complete moron now. If you do this, and like, they, I mean, it, you could eliminate the pass fail aspect of it. You yeah, fail the class, you it. don't get it. Nope. It's just like you just need to show that you took the class. Yeah. Like that's really about it. And that's I was it. like, but just the, I don't know. That's why I said I'm indifferent on it. I, I, I really don't. I can see arguments from both sides. I have a permit. You have a permit. Yeah, if yeah. I don't have a permit, like I'm still carrying it. Uh, like it's really just like okay, whatever. Now I just want to know, like, do I get my do I get my hundred dollars back that I spend for the class in the fingerprints now? That's all. That's all I want to know. So like, where's I, my I, refund? I want to know from you guys listening and everything. What are your stance on this? Like, are you you think that they should do this and pass it so you don't need a license, or do you think that you know there needs to still be that safeguard of having to take a class? having to at least be educated before you do this. I would love to hear what you guys think. But with all that being said, that we have reached the end of our show for May the 7th, 2021. 17 in the books. In the books. So thank you all for watching. As always, if you're finding value, make sure to hit that thumbs up on YouTube. It helps us out tremendously. It matters a lot. Um, and with that being said, we will see you all next week. Have Bye. a great week.